Welcome to our online campus. We're so glad you're joining us today. We want you to know that we're a church that is for you, and we believe God is too. Take a moment before we get started to grab a coffee and invite a friend to join you online. You can do that by clicking the blue button under the video or by texting them our link, gracefreechurch.live. If you're new here, click the gray connect button. We would love to connect with you and add you to our email list so you don't miss out on anything going on at Grace. We also have a gift for you. Use the chat section on this page so you can engage in our community online. Feel free to jump in. We'd love to hear from you. We're about to get started with worship and then a message from God's word that will make sense for your life, followed by a few more songs. Please know that we're praying for you, we are here for you, and we're excited to worship our God together.
Jesus runs as deep as your scars. You pulled me from the flame. You set me on a rock. Called me by your name. You made my heart whole again. Lift it up and my knees are soft for your glory that I might stand with more reasons to sing than to fear pull me from the clay send me on a rock call me by your name Here I stand high. 
Thanks for jumping on to our online location, man. I'm pumped that you're here. I'm believing. I hope you're believing, too, that God's got something amazing for you in this service. And uh, we believe that. We believe in a God who's not limited by time or space. I'm excited. I hope you're excited and ready to jump into the next message in our series, All the Feels, Learning How to Feel Through Times Like These. Listen, the times we're in, they've been challenging and hard and difficult, and we want to see what God says about how we should feel. We want to process what we're going through based on what God says in His Word, because we believe. I don't know, maybe you're not there yet. Hang around long enough and you'll get there. We believe in a big God who's got really good things for you. He's taken us somewhere better and uh, we just want to follow him to that place. So before we jump into this message called I'm So Hopeful, would you just take a moment and pray with me before we get started? Dear God, we just thank you so much for your love for us. It's so unconditional, your heart for us. We see it on the cross. We, we see it in the empty tomb. And we're walking through some difficult stuff. There's some people watching this. They're frustrated. They're hurt, wrestling with all kinds of deep and hard stuff to wrestle with, and they need your strength. We need to hear from your word and have it encourage our hearts. We need your spirit to touch us and to make us well inside. We need what you have for us, not what I have for us, not what Grace Free has for us. We need what you have for us, and we just ask you to do your thing in our hearts right now. Do your thing through your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. The message we're going to talk about today is called, I'm so hopeful. I am. You know, it's not every day that I feel that way. It's not always the first thing out of my mouth. It, it seems like sometimes it's got to wrestle itself through its share of pessimism and crankiness. Just ask my fam about that one. But eventually, there's this thing about me, and it's not because of me. There's this thing about 
my heart and my life that just keeps popping up. I mean, even through the darkest days, and no doubt we've been walking through some pretty dark days together, even through the most challenging circumstances I've had to walk through in my life, even, even walking through the death of my brother to a car accident, my mom to cancer, even walking through the scary things as we look at our finances and we try to figure out how we're going to make it, the scary things like what's going to happen with this pandemic. There's this thing about me that sometimes I want to deny. Sometimes I don't want to pay attention to it. Sometimes I want to squall it or squish it with a, a mound of negativity. There's this thing about me. And it's only because of Jesus. This relentless thing about me. Hope keeps springing up. And so even on days, and I've had some bad days, if you had some bad days, even on the days where things are really tough and our hearts are swelling with pain or heartbreak, even the days where we're, de we're desperately wrestling with loss or being betrayed by somebody we care about or feeling directionless or like we have no purpose, even on those days, for me and hopefully for you, if not for you now, hopefully for you by the end of this message, there's this thing. It just keeps popping up. It's hope. It's hope. It's hope that, that the story doesn't end like this. It's hope that there's something better coming. It's hope that, that God's got something amazing waiting for me. And it's hard to see sometimes. But that's why through all of these messages, the underlying current is I'm so hopeful. Yeah, sometimes I'm so tired. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Sometimes I'm so overwhelmed. Sometimes I'm so sad. Sometimes I'm so angry. Sometimes I'm so all of that stuff. But I'm also so hopeful. I hope you can taste that in the darkest days. I'm worried because it seems like that's something that's harder and harder to see as we're walking through these days. It seems like the negative pile of stuff just keeps growing and the hopeful stuff is harder to find. It's harder to see. Maybe that's just because we're tired of looking for it or having to look for it or tired of sorting through the endless negative news cycle. I'm so hopeful. It's where we got to end up. And I don't want it to die for you, and I don't want it to die for me. I mean, we have to be, we are people. If you're a person of faith right now, good days, bad days, dark stuff, heartbreak, wins, losses, you are a person whose hope should define your heart. I'm so hopeful. You see, the thing about hope is when you really get it, when you really understand what it's all about, when you really start to have your faith defining your hope, you can't kill it. It's always just there, popping up through the darkest moments. I'm so hopeful. Can you say that today? I mean, if you can't, we're going to trust that by the end of this message, you can. Like, can you say that? In, in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of the mess that you're walking through, in the midst of all the tough stuff, can you like nudge somebody next to you? Can you throw somebody at some, something at somebody? Don't throw somebody. That would be weird. Just throw something soft at somebody and get their attention and be like, I'm so hopeful. Yeah, this is a mess. 
I'm so hopeful. Yeah, things aren't going great, but I'm so hopeful. Yeah, somebody just left me, but I'm so hopeful. Yeah, I just lost my job, but I'm so hopeful. Can you say it even if you don't feel it? As a person of faith, can you say it? I'm so hopeful. You see, hope's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing because we often talk about it the wrong way. We think about it the wrong way. Sometimes we even act on it the wrong way. I mean, it's not hard to be like, oh man, I hope Jen's got some chicken parm cooking up for me on the way home. And I catch myself using it. Like, really? That's hope? That's what hope has summed itself up to? A bunch of protein smothered in cheese and tomato sauce with a massive side of carbohydrates? And that's the hope I find throughout my day? I hope that I'll get home. I hope nobody found ice cream I shoved in the back of the freezer. I hope you have a great day. I hope this works out. I hope it doesn't rain. I mean, You see, the way we talk about hope and the way we think about hope, it really brings it down. It brings it down to wishful thinking. It brings it down to this level where it doesn't really apply. It doesn't capture the power of the word. And maybe that's part of the problem. We've lost the power of what it means to really hope through anything. And you can see it by how quickly people give up on hope. How easily They're discouraged when the small thing that they're placing their hope in can't stand up to the pressure of their circumstances. No wonder we're so discouraged. No wonder things are so hard for us. No wonder we're so easily knocked off track. You see, hope is only as good as the thing you place your hope in. Somebody write that down somewhere. Somebody like, Make that, I don't know, tattoo it on your arm. Sharpie it somewhere in your house. It's so important to understand this. Hope is only as good as the thing you place your hope in. No wonder we are so discouraged. No wonder we're so sad. No wonder we're so full of anxiety sometimes. It's because we're hoping too small. We place our hope in things that just aren't that good. We place our hope in things. We place our hope in things that will inevitably let us down. Maybe you've got your hope placed in some things. They're just not good enough. And so your hope's not good enough. Maybe you're hoping in a relationship to save the day. You're hoping in a man to swoop into your world. You know, like Prince Charming with the jacket, his smooth jacket. Maybe you're not even setting the bar that high. Maybe you're like, man, I just hope the dude clips his fingernails and brushes his teeth. Like, I don't know. Maybe you're hoping just for a man to swoop into your life. And that's where you're placing your hope. That'll fix everything. (laughs) Guess what? That dude doesn't exist. That Prince Charming doesn't it? Maybe you're hoping for that girl, right? Like that woman. She's just going to be everything you'd always hoped for. Everything you'd always wished for. And when she comes into your life, you're not going to be so alone. She's not going to treat you like that last one. You know, it's going to be perfect and better. Your hope's too small, man. If you're hoping in a person, maybe you're hoping in a system, a change to the system, a politician or a government or a political party. Maybe you're hoping in in somebody in a lab somewhere to solve all of your problems and make things better. Man, your hope is only as good as what you're hoping in. And our hope, it's not good enough. 
And that's why we end up so discouraged and so worn out, so tired. But when you really get hope, when you have a hope that is a good hope, the right hope, when your faith is driving your hope, then you can't ever kill it. It just keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. And maybe you're not doing great right now. Maybe you're not doing great with whatever you're trying to work through, the discouragement, the anger that you're wrestling with. Maybe you're not doing great because you're not focused on what you're hoping in. And your hope is too small. Maybe you're not doing great because you've cheapened hope. You've spread it out. You've put a a little bit of hope on small things. That'll inevitably disappoint you anyway. And maybe that's why you're not doing so great right now. Hope, though, when you really get it, man, it's, it's relentless. And you need a bigger hope. We need, we need a bigger hope. It says this in Romans chapter 2, uh, sorry, chapter 3 and verses 24, or sorry, 8, 24 through 25. Paul, he was this author, wrote most of the New Testament and under the inspiration of the um, Holy Spirit. He had a lot, of, a lot to say about hope. And this passage just it catches me. You ready for this? In Romans 8, 24 and 25, it says, For in this we hope. We are saved. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. I mean, Paul captures something so powerful here in this moment. Like your hope isn't big enough. Who hopes in what they can see? You're hoping in stuff that you can see and stuff that can pop in and out of your life so easily. You're hoping that the real hope that saves us is not a hope placed in stuff you can see. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than a hope placed in a person. It's bigger than a hope placed in a substance. It's bigger than a hope placed in a in a political system is bigger than a hope placed in money it's bigger than a hope placed in a job it's bigger than a hope placed in any of that stuff why stop hoping in stuff that you can see you need a bigger hope we need a bigger hope paul's pointing to it he's saying like yo it's the faith that you have that gives you the hope that saves you and we wait for that we can't see it, but we know it's coming. We can't, we can't tell when it's going to show up, but we know it's going to show up. And we wait patiently for the hope that is the real hope, the big hope that we need. Maybe patience is a good indicator of whether our hope is in the right place. And maybe impatience is a sign that we're hoping in the wrong things. You're hoping to get back to normal. You're hoping for for church to be back the way church always was, the way you love that you're hoping for your favorite restaurant to be back the way it always was. You're hoping for things to, to, to go to amusement park the way it always was. You're hoping for your job to go back to the way it always was. Like, I get it, but you're not hoping big enough. Don't just hope for things that you can see and grow impatient on the journey. You see, we... As people of faith, we say, man, I'm hoping for something bigger. I'm not hoping for something to go back 
to the way it was. I'm hoping for something bigger and better than that. I'm not hoping in some person. I'm hoping in something bigger and better than that. And so I can wait patiently because my hope is placed in the right thing. It's placed in God and what He wants to do in my life, what He can do through my circumstances. Somebody needs to to make a decision right now that your hope hasn't been good enough, that you need to hope in something bigger. And even if that means waiting patiently, you can do that because you know when God shows up, it's going to spring something new for you. You see, our hope, it's a bigger hope. It's a hope that is, that hope is not just as good as what you place it in, it's also as big as what you place it in. Here's this verse in Isaiah chapter 11. This is an interesting verse that's so amazing. This prophet Isaiah was talking to a people, he's talking to us, but at the time he's talking to people, they had been cut down, man. Like life had, circumstances had cut them down. Everything they had known as normal and good taken from them. Can we relate a little bit to that? I think maybe. Like this was a bad time. And Isaiah the prophet, he says this in verse 11, verse 1. I'm going to let this sink in a little bit. Write that reference down. Take a note of it. Come on, do something. He says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots... A branch will bear fruit. Here it is again. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. I mean, this verse, it's so important to understand because it's a picture of hope. I know it doesn't say hope in there, but this prophet, was seeing Jesus in this text. This text was about Jesus. This text was for a people that were broken down. They were cut down to a stump. They were worn down to a stump. They were brought down to a stump. And this prophet looked through because of the Holy Spirit was able to speak through time and space and say, yeah, but something's coming. A sprout springs. And it may look like a stump right now, but there's going to be fruit again. Because of what God's doing out of this mess. <laughs> Man, there's all kinds of things that can wear us down to a stump. That can, that can beat us down to a stump. Maybe you think this stump is, is over. It's cut down. When you cut down a stump, you just have a stump there. You, cut, you lost the tree. Whether the tree was good or whether it was bad, you cut it all the way down to the stump. It's like done. It's like how you start to get rid of a tree. That stump's going to sit there for a while until somebody comes along and digs it up. Like that's, The picture of a stump is something that's it's game over. It's time up. There's nothing good going to come out of this. We just need to clear this space. We just need to get rid of it. Stump, it's, it's the kind of place where it's over, where you feel like it's done, where you can't come back from it, where it's never going to be the same. That's the kind of stump space in your life that you've probably experienced at some point or another. Maybe it's a space where you're like, this relationship, it's, got, it's nothing but a stump. It's got, there's no life left in it. Maybe you're feeling like that personally on the inside, like you just got no life left in it. You just, it's something inside is dying and you don't, you don't feel it anymore. You don't feel alive. Maybe it's your purpose and you feel like, man, I don't have one. I don't have a purpose. 
wilderness. It's cut down. It's just a stump. Just got to go through the next day and the next day. Life with God always springs something forth in the stumps of life. Listen, that's who we are as people of faith. We're the bounce back people. We're the you can't cut us down people. We're the, you can't, it doesn't matter how dead it looks. There's always hope, people. There's always some life that can come. There's always something new waiting for us. There's always a chance, another chance, another chance, another chance. There's always forgiveness. There's always grace. I mean, that's just who we are because our faith and our hope, it's in something good and better. It's in something way bigger. You see, this passage, it was talking to I was talking about Jesus. And when I think about it, I think about those roots going down into the earth. No matter what your hope looks like right now, no matter whether you're feeling it or not, you know, if, if you have placed your faith in Christ and God, you have roots to your life. They go deep. God can do something from them that's amazing. If you take all the other stuff away on the surface, get rid of everything, whittle it down to nothing, God can still do something through you. Job's a great story. It's a great example of this. It's not a great story. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a tough story to actually think about. The story of Job, it's a whole book in your Bible in the Old Testament, and um, doesn't maybe get a lot of reading. There's a lot of dialogue in it. You get, basically, you get two chapters where you kind of the scene is set for you, and then you have a bunch of dialogue in between there, mostly between uh, Job and his wife and him, his friends and him, and then back and forth, kind of chapter after chapter until you get to 19, where we're going to kind of stop after we do a quick look at one and two. And then, you know, some dialogue after that between God and Job as God kind of like sets a new course for his life and kind of checks him in areas he needs to be checked and, and sets him up for what's next. Uh, but the story starts like Job's a righteous guy, living a righteous life, and there's kind of like nobody like him kind of picture you get. As Scripture describes who Job was like, not only was he a great guy, righteous, but he was also extremely successful. He had tons of sheep and he had tons of cattle in the fields. He had lots of servants and houses. And not only was he blessed financially, but he had a big family. So he had lots of love in his life. It was him and his wife. And he had a bunch of children and sons and daughters. And there's one day when everything kind of changed, one day where his life got cut down to a stump. And that's putting it lightly. He was out there and he said, one day, it says in verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put all the servants to the sword and I'm the only one left to tell you. That's a terrible day right there. Just watch almost all of your money go out the door. And, and all of your livelihood taken, all of your, more importantly, the lives of the people whom you loved, who worked for you, who you cared for, taken from you and killed and all the heartache and the pain that that would cause. But, but the guy doesn't even finish his sentence in verse 16. It says another servant comes up to him in the middle of this. Job doesn't even time to process it. And it says that a fire 
fell from heavens and burned up all the sheep and all the servants, and I'm the only one to tell you, that escaped to tell you. So like not only did people raid, but then, but then lightning strikes and just wipes out all the sheep and all the people tending to the sheep. He doesn't even finish saying how another servant comes up and says the Chaldeans formed some raiding parties, swept down on camels and made off, or swept down on all of your camels and took all of your camels. Put your servants to the sword. I'm the only one who escaped. He lost almost everything. And before he even has a chance to process it, another servant comes and says, man, your sons and daughters were at, having a party at the oldest brother's house, and a mighty wind came from the desert, struck the house, and it collapsed and killed all of your sons and all of your daughters. That's got to be the worst day. Like, you can't. It's hard for me to look at the pain I've experienced in my life and the, the heaviness of that and to try to compare it to Job. I'm like, man, I can't, even, I can't even begin to understand that kind of pain and that kind of hurt and that kind of darkness just crushes him. But yet Job, at the very end of that chapter, he utters this in the midst of his pain. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You can't kill hope. It cries out in the midst of the most terrifying pain for people of faith. It's a, it comes from the darkest corners of our lives for people that truly get it. Your hope, it has to be placed in something good and something bigger. Sometimes our circumstances, they settle into seasons of our life that can be very difficult to walk through. My guess is that you're, you got some circumstances that have settled into seasons, or at least you know what that's like. Circumstances like some lightning from the sky, some, some things people have done to us, some, some pain people have caused us, they can settle into seasons. And Job was about to settle into a season of just really painful and dark stuff. Not only that, but Satan appeals to God and says, hey God, like, yeah, he's still standing with you. That's only because you've taken everything else away from him, but you haven't touched him. If you were to touch him, if he was, if you let me do some pain to him, he would turn his back on you. And God says, let's see. And so he, he strikes Job with boils and Job's like breaking pots and scraping his skin from his head to his toe. He is in pain and physical agony and he won't turn his back on God. His friends roll into the scene. His friends got a message for him. And the message that, just to make it really short, is, hey, man, this is your fault. You must have sinned. You must have done something wrong. You've been living some lie. What's going on? What are you hiding from us? This is your fault. You made God angry with what you did. That wasn't the case at all. It wasn't, it wasn't what was going on at all. Job, he doesn't even have it right because he's arguing back with these guys. Like he's saying, like, listen, no, I have been righteous. I've been doing everything right. God's just abandoned me. And while I'm sure it felt like God abandoned him, Job was wrong too. God hadn't abandoned him. He was being silent in this season, but he was about to birth something new out of the pain that he had experienced. He was about to give him more of a blessing. God had an eternal perspective on the life of Job. He knew exactly where his sons or daughter were. They were standing beside him in heaven. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew that Job needed something more than the money. There was, there was something more than the sheep. And 
He was about to do something new. Something was going to spring up for Job. Job's going back and forth with his friends for a bunch of chapters. It's really hard to read. And then in chapter 19, he goes into this list of all the things that God has done wrong to him, all the ways God has wronged him and all the troubles he has gone through, and he's listing them. He's saying things like, he's blocked my way, so I cannot pass talking about God. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. Maybe you've felt some of this at some point in your relationship with God. He's saying things like, he uproots my hope like a tree, but he didn't realize that he's never lost his hope. His anger burns against me. His troops advance in force. He's alienated my family from me. Like over and over, he's just listing all of these things that have gone wrong. But then at the end of 19, there's a shift towards hope. He says, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in a rock forever. He's like, write it down. Write some, somebody write these words down. You just tattoo these on the rock. Like, put these in a sharpie in your... <laughs> like, somebody write this down. I know my Redeemer lives. All the wrong that I feel that has happened to me, all of the unfair treatment, all the darkness, all the tough stuff I've had to walk through, here's the relentlessness of hope when it's placed in the right thing. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. In light of all of the terrible things that had happened this one thing was left, the undercurrent of his life, stirring around through all of the trouble and the sadness and the pain. The one thing you couldn't kill for Job, the one thing you couldn't steal from him was his hope. It was placed in someone bigger and better than his own understanding and his, and could fathom and something was going to spring up from that hope. Something new was going to spring up from that hope. You see, Job's hope, it was in God. It was in seeing God in his life. His hope was driven by his faith in God, even in the midst of the worst circumstances of his life. His hope was in something bigger and something better. Maybe you're so discouraged because your hope is too small. It's time to get a bigger hope. Your life may be cut down like a stump, but God wants to do something new in it. You may have feel like your relationships are as dead as a stump in your yard, but God wants to give you something new. Something always springs up because our hope is placed in something bigger. That shoot that springs up from the stump of Jesse, his name was Jesus. His hope came to us through a cross and an empty tomb. And that's where your roots lie. They go down through the ground. They fill that space where a body just was. You see, your faith can't be stolen because that tomb is empty. It can't be taken from you because Jesus cemented it on a cross in his own blood. No matter what your life looks like, no matter how difficult it gets, hoping something bigger than just going back to 
the way things were, hoping something bigger than just having some relationship swoop into your life to fix something, hoping something bigger than just having a better cash flow or better balance in your checking account, hoping something bigger that nothing and no one can take from you. Like Job, no matter what happens, you'll be standing there saying, I have hope. You can't kill it. It's in God because of Christ. You see, hope is something you place. It's something you make a decision to place in something else. Stop placing it in things that are so small, not good enough. And place it where it belongs. In God, the one who wants to save you, who sent his son for you. He is for you and he loves you. And hope is something you place. Where have you been placing your hope? It's time to leave the discouragement of placing it in lesser things behind. It's time to make a decision to place it in this Jesus who will never disappoint. Hope is something that's placed and it's something that grows. Psalm 25, 5. Have you been doing the psalm challenge every day? Read a psalm before you turn on the news or social media. It'll, it'll help your heart, man. Just get some good stuff from God before you get all the junk from everywhere else. Psalm 25.5 says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. A decision made by the psalmist. <laughs> you teach me, God. Like, I need to grow in this. I need my hope to grow. You teach me your ways. You teach me what you have for me. It's got to be better than what anybody else has for me. You teach me, and I'm going to place my hope hope in you all day, every day, 24-7. And when you live that kind of life, nothing can steal your hope. No virus, no pandemic, no government can steal your hope. No system can wreck it. You can lose everything, be cut down to a stump, and something new will spring up because you spring up is just who you are as a person of faith. I hope that right now you got your hope placed in the right thing. If you don't have your hope placed in the right thing, make a decision right now. Just pray in your heart right now with me. God, like I give you my life. I'm tired of placing my hope in everything else. I'm going to place my hope in you and what you have for me. I want my roots to go down to an empty tomb. I want it to be sealed in blood because of what you did on that cross for me. I'm just saying right now, God, from my heart, I'm saying it. I'm confessing it. Like it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, with my mouth and my heart that I believe in what you have done for me and what you have for me, and you will be where I place my hope all day, every day, 24-7. If you did that, man, God will give you his spirit and he will start to make you new. And what you will find is a hope will grow in your life that nothing will be able to steal from you. Maybe you've had that hope and you've just been distracted and placing your hope, cheap, treating it so cheaply and putting it in all this other stuff. Like, listen, it's time. Don't, you are a person of faith in the resurrected king. Stop placing your hope in people or relationships or political parties or in, <laughs> come on, man. Like, you are made for a bigger hope. Live bigger. 
reorient your hope where it belongs. Commit like the psalmist to saying, getting back on track and saying, you know what, God, all day, every day, my hope is in you. Make that decision right now because hope is something you place and it's also something you grow. And listen, if you're making that decision right now, I want to hear from you. I want to hear about your journey. I want your journey to impact other people's journeys. I'm not going to share your information, but just hit me up with an email, click connect, let me know man, so that I can be praying for you, so that we can celebrate your hope together. Uh, Would you pray with me right now? God, thank you so much for your love for us. It's it's sealed on a cross. It's demonstrated on that cross. It's sealed with that tomb, empty. We need to reorient ourselves with the right kind of hope to have a bigger hope, one that people can't steal from us. Hope in you and what you've done for us. We've given our hope away cheaply. We say we're sorry for that. Would you help us understand that we don't have to hope for things to go back to something. We don't have to hope in someone to fix something for us. We can hope in something bigger and better for our lives through you. Would you paint that dream in our hearts and our minds through your Holy Spirit? Help solidify it by helping us know your truth deeper and deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you all have enjoyed the service and the message has spoken to you. In a few moments, the worship team will be back to lead us in some additional worship. Then our pastor will be back to close today's service. We're so grateful to partner with you in achieving our vision of being a church for Jesus, for Schuylkill County, for your family and friends, and for you. Your generosity enables us to continue to reach our community with the great news of Jesus Christ. For more information on what the Bible says about generous giving, check out 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. We made the partnership process very simple here at Grace. You can give online by clicking the Give Online button below. You can text a gift to 570-528-2060, or you can mail your gift to the church. For more information on how to give, visit our website, www.gracefreechurch.net forward slash give. We pray that this service has been a blessing to you. Again, thank you for partnering with us. It is done, it is finished.
has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how his love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, he Thanks for joining us for this service. We hope and pray it was meaningful for you. 
We want you to know that we are for you and God is for you too. We'll be putting out a ton of great content to help you through the week. You can check all of that out by following us on social media or making sure we have your email address by clicking the connect button. We hope you know you are loved here, but way more importantly, God loves you. Have a great week.